0: or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. At the intersection of Murfreesboro Road and Interstate 65 in Franklin, Tennessee, there are two facilities that have sustained me over the last 18 months. Williamson Medical Center houses the offices of Dr. Jeffrey Dindy, cardiologist and post-COVID specialist for Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And across the street, the second facility, Cracker Barrel. (laughs) I was exiting that Cracker Barrel last month, having caught the red-eye flight from Panama City To Nashville for an early morning cardiology appointment, and as I was leaving there on the sidewalk sidewalk alongside my arriving Uber driver, lay an elderly woman near the curb. I rushed to her not knowing if she had fallen, if she'd had a stroke or a heart attack, or if she was badly injured in some way. As I got to her side, dropping my bag, I was relieved to discover that she was conscious, quite so. With little sign of injury or impairment, she said simply, and I quote, given out. But not so much that she could not give her husband proper verbal instructions on how to help her. Sam, quit a yanking on my arm, she said. You know you can't get me up from something like this. No, Sam, don't call the ambulance. You know how much that cost the last time. Sam, just get the car backed up as close to me as you can get. And Sam trotted away as instructed, and I took that as my cue to speak. I knelt down beside her. Hun, I said, which seemed like the most appropriate word outside the Cracker Barrel. Hun, did Sam do this to you? I said, and she turned and she looked me in the face with the slightest crook of a smile and said, well, you know, he did. <laughs> I thought so. And I told her, I'll testify to the judge that I saw him push you down if you need me to. Should we sue him? By this time, she was cradled in my arms, and Sam was backing his Kia Soul out of the handicapped parking position right up into the yard of the Cracker Barrel, and I was praying that he had a backup camera lest I become a casualty of this encounter myself. Should we sue him? And that old girl gave a chuckle, and she said, it won't matter. He ain't got no money anyway. Hmm. So it's like that. It's like that. Because he ain't never had no money, she said. I said, well, I guess you're going to just have to go home with him. But that's probably what has gotten you into the most trouble in your life anyway. And by this time, Sam is beside us. And very slowly and tediously, he and I lift her from the ground. It's a bad hip, she kept telling me. Go easy with it, son. i tell you what, when you've come from the cardiologist and you've got this much gray on your face and someone calls you son, that'll make your day. And finally, after trying to ease her along unsuccessfully, I just picked her up and carried her to the front seat and oh so gently put her into the seat and leaning into that car. Then there we were, eyeball to eyeball and nose to nose. I could see all the wrinkles in her face and her silver hair, and you could see in her face in that moment the beautiful, beautiful woman she had been as a a young woman. And there we were, face to face, nose to nose, and before I knew what would happen, she kissed me right on the mouth. (laughs) And I'm not sure if it was cigarettes or snuff that I tasted. (laughs) Son, what's your name? And I told her. And I said, what's your name? And she said, Ann, without an E. And I said, uh, that was my mother's name, Rita Ann, without an E. She passed just a few months ago, and then she kissed me again when I told her that. Only on the cheek this time. And then I knew, quite thankfully, that it was Marlboros and not peach sweet snuff that I was tasting. Sam tried to pay me after that. And I said, "Absolutely not." So he hugged me instead, and for a f- terrified moment, I thought he might kiss me too. <laughs> and their little Kia rolled away, and my patient Uber driver ferried me on to my next appointment. Now, kissing uh, is a common human activity, and it's a common, long-standing holiday tradition, particularly if you are beneath the mistletoe. It's something I've never understood because mistletoe is kind of nasty, to be honest. As a teenager, we would be sent to harvest a bit of it for decorating purposes, and we might climb a tree to snag a bundle. It is a parasitic plant, by the way, attaching itself sort of like Spanish moss does to oak trees here. And if it was too high up in the limbs, we resorted to my cousin's 12-gauge shotgun to blast it from the bows, which was more fun than climbing. And if it had been a mild early winter, mistletoe was just like coastal Spanish moss. It was filled with ticks and red bugs. If you ever see a newcomer to the Florida coast say, I'm going to decorate my house with Spanish moss, stop them for the love of God. So handling it. Or kissing beneath it, for that matter, was not something I was eager to do. And one Christmas, I asked my grandfather, McBrayer, we called him Pawpaw, and I said, Pawpaw, how does that mistletoe get way up in those trees anyway? And he explained to me that that's where the birds perch to relieve themselves of their bodily functions. And as a result, those little mistletoe seeds were expelled and planted by the same means through which droppings land on your windshield. And now any thought of kissing under the mistletoe is completely gone. And my grandfather's explanation proved to be more than accurate. Mistletoe, in the ancient Anglo-Saxon word, literally means manure stick. So gentlemen, some of you, next time you are trying to get under the mistletoe after three too many eggnogs and you're trying to get smooches from your nephew Hank's new wife, Just remember that it's a manure stick and likely infested with ticks and red bugs. So let's throw out the mistletoe and just keep the kissing part. With permission, of course. It is the 21st century, no lip-blocking without consent because kissing is good for you. That's not a phrase you expected to hear. Kissing relieves stress Boosts self esteem, reduces anxiety and blood pressure, it tones the muscles in your face, all according to a 2013 study from the BBC, and it just feels good. It feels good because the act of kissing releases dopamine, oxytocin, and all those lively hormones you might not know but love all the same. And I learned recently that we are the only animal species that practices this act, and it did not begin with romance. It was not sexual at all. Anthropologists tell us that kissing is an invention of bonding gratitude between mother and child. It began as mothers attached themselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually to their new babies. I mean, really. When you're holding a little baby, a newborn... How can you stop from kissing its little noggin, right? A kiss then is a reactionary, evolutionary response to grace, to a gift. That's the origin of it anyway. Romantic bonding, kissing hello, kissing goodbye, kissing for luck, kissing at a wedding ceremony. It all followed from this primal invention between mother and child. Here is this tiny, helpless, but outrageously precious child, and I kiss him, I kiss her as an act of love, an act of bonding affection, as an act of promise. When you kiss that child, it says, I will give myself to you to meet whatever need you may ever have. And everything within me, every emotion, every thought, every action, every longing, every responsibility, it is yours if you need it so that you will be safe and warm and protected and cared for. All of that bound up in a simple kiss. In the back seat of that Uber, and without an ease, spontaneous kiss would not leave my mind. And it wasn't the romance of it. I'm not a marble man. And... It was something in the Bible, something in the Old Testament, maybe something in the Proverbs, maybe something in the prophets, a line of poetry, a line from David. Somewhere there was this word about need and fulfillment Coming together. Somewhere there was a psalm, and then I remembered that it was a psalm about love and justice coming together. I just couldn't conjure up the reference until much later. Some of you will have this experience where what you've been trying to remember will come to you just as you're trying to go to sleep at night. And it came to me as I was falling asleep that night as a song, a song I have sung now hundreds of times. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Welshman William Rees is the author of that line. In his native Welsh, it is entitled, Dama Gal Vel Morloi. In English, here is love Vast as an ocean. And it's easy to imagine Reeves 150 years ago standing on the shoreline of Wales, the craggy western coast, Conway Castle is offset to his west, and looking out across the Irish Sea, he writes that stanza, Here is love vast as an ocean, and then taking a line from Psalm 85. I knew it was in the Psalms. He says, Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world. In love. Peace and perfect justice is synonymous with reconciliation. It is synonymous, synonymous with loving kindness. It is what the Hebrews called chased. It is used almost 250 times in the Old Testament to describe God's patient, gracious, long suffering disposition toward humanity. Chesed is where love and strength and justice and peace and truth and grace and rightness all come together. It's not just love, it is steadfast love. It is not just kindness, it is kindness that does not end. It is not just affection, but affection that works for the individual and the community's best interest. God's unfailing love his steady loving kindness is always there whether it is deserved, earned, justifiable, or otherwise. God's love, God loves, and God acts for our well-being without pretext and without justification. God loves because God loves. God is kind because God is simply kind. God is merciful Because God really is merciful. God is good all the time. Because God is good all the time. God's peace and perfect justice kisses this guilty world. Guilty here is not a word of shame. It means to have fallen, to have stumbled, to be unable to stand alone. Peace and perfect justice descend to the fallen, to the weak, to the downcast, and in union and love, as it were, a kiss begins to make things right, begins to correct the ills that can be corrected, begins to do for others what is needed. It's not likely that I will ever see Sam or Ann without an E again. I hope she is well. I hope they both are. But I was glad to have made their acquaintance in those few moments on a Cracker Barrel sidewalk because that's all I did. I made their acquaintance. I was just the friend that they needed for just a little while. It wasn't extraordinary. It wasn't brave. It wasn't heroic. It was simply what was necessary at the time. Someone had fallen. Someone was without the strength to rise. Someone was without the ability to do for herself, she just needed help, another person who could get down on that cold, hard sidewalk and move her back to a place of warmth and safety. The kiss at the end was simply an expression of gratitude that kindness had united with need and as much as possible had helped to make things right. And that's what we celebrate every year during this season. The baby born in Bethlehem was God kneeling, God stooping to enter our fallenness, our weakness, God emptying God's self, descending to bring peace and perfect justice to an ailing hurting world we believe that it was God kissing the world in bonding affection God's act of promise God saying in the word made flesh and lighting our darkness I will give myself to you to meet whatever need you may ever have everything within me every plan, every emotion, every thought, every action, every longing and responsibility. It will be yours if you need it so that you too will be safe and warm and protected and cared for. Some time ago, I received a thoughtful little gift, a book. It's entitled Willie Nelson's Letters to America. I commend it to you. It is a collection of short essays about how he came to write certain songs, his love for, shall we say, herbal medicine, <laughs> words of wisdom for songwriters, for parents, for whoever's eyes land on the page. This is a, just a really short section from one of his essays entitled, God is a Four-Letter Word. No matter your religion, you likely have your own idea of what God is. Some think of God as that big guy in the sky. Some say God is dead. Some say God never was. My view is simple. I believe that God is love. Period. End of story. For love runs through everyone and everything. Love is the thing we all have in common. We ache for love. We hope for love. We love to be loved. That's God. And then Willie provides the lyrics to a recent song of his. Take these words of wisdom with you everywhere you go. Tell all the religions in the world, and through them the truth will flow. That God is love, and love is God. And that's all you really Need to know. Now that might sound shallow, and beyond question, the theological overlords would pick that sentiment apart. Willie and I both know that, and it's why I like his concluding thoughts. Now, if you're locked into the idea of the big guy in the sky who's listening to your every word, I would like to be supportive. (laughs) But whatever your view of God is, this is just a note that I hope makes sense to you and it sure makes sense